So, who are we canceling today? Hmm, how about Missouri Senator Josh Hawley? Oh, he's that guy who's just thrown a temper tantrum because he lost his book deal after the insurrection, right? He didn't lose his book deal. Someone else picked it up. But yeah, he's the guy who's going on like Fox News and writing in the New York Post about how he's so silenced. And so if we choose to cancel him today, he's gone forever, right? We have that power to just like stop it. Uh, I think we probably need a few more listeners to make that happen. And for some reason, I feel like Mr. Holly is going to end up being a frequent subject of our show. Because we don't have the power to cancel anyone, unfortunately. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Caitlin Burns. And I'm Oliver Ash Klein. And you're listening to Cancel Me Daddy. The show where we take a closer look at all of the panic around cancel culture with thoughtful analysis and verbal shitposting. Hell yeah. So, Caitlin, we are recording our very first show. How are you feeling? I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm I'm nervous too. My stomach's doing some things, but <laughs> I'm really excited too. It's also excitement, you know? I'm like nervous, but also craving a cheeseburger. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll order cheeseburgers after this. So, you know, as we're recording our first show, one of the things that I'm thinking about is that very first conversation we had when we were like, oh, we should start a podcast together. And, you know, we were trying to figure out what the show was going to be about. And as soon as you said cancel culture, I knew that that was absolutely the thing that we were going to do. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about what prompted that. Yeah, I feel like this is a, a topic that is certainly getting a lot of attention right now within the media. And, you know, you're starting to see like Substacks pop up talking about cancel culture and sort of decrying it and then asking for Patreon contributions. Or you see other podcasts that are popping up talking about how this is the end of civilization as we know it because out of control lefties are tamping down all dissent or whatever. And I really wanted to have something that looks at this with more nuance and looks and sees who is being left out of these conversations quite a bit. And I felt like it was a really good fit for us. Yeah, I think that one of my biggest frustration with the whole cancel culture thing is all of the people who are complaining about it really loudly have huge platforms, you know, a good deal of power, and they're actually not being canceled. They're actually using it to, you know, raise money, to get more attention. And a lot of the people, their profiles have been raised by complaining about being canceled. It's almost like this badge of honor. And meanwhile, they're actually trying to silence people who are being left out of the conversation because a lot of the people who are saying like, oh, this thing that you're doing is problematic. It's harmful you know, you need to be held accountable or marginalized people who don't have a voice in this conversation. And so they're being gaslit and left out of the conversation. And meanwhile, these folks who are screaming about cancel culture are making money off it and kind of engaging in what I would call the cancel culture grift economy. They're all begging for the cancel daddy to cancel them because they know it actually ends up in more dollars in their pockets. Do you mean they're saying, cancel me, daddy? <laughs> No. <laughs> Why would I say that? Um, so one thing I wanted to say before we get started is that I'm already so overwhelmed by the response people are having to the show. It's been amazing. 
We got a lot of love when we launched our trailer. Erdin said, looking forward to hearing a journalist with actual credibility discuss cancel culture, as opposed to all of the pearl clutchers trying to cover for someone finally experiencing consequences. And then Alex said, this is a good call. The entire cancel culture argument on the right is just another grift. It's good to see someone taking time to pull that apart and look at it a bit more closely. And we also saw a lot of people who say they don't like podcasts, they hate podcasts, they can't listen to podcasts who are going to listen to this one because they're excited to hear what we have to say. And that's just like such a ringing endorsement. And I think all of the response to just just our trailer shows how badly something like this is needed to combat all of the bad faith arguments that we're being inundated with from you know some of the mainstream publications that are lifting it up. And I'm really excited that we're going to start publishing this show every other week. We eventually want to make this a weekly show though, right? Yes, definitely. So in that vein, we are raising money through Patreon at patreon.com slash cancel me daddy. And you can help us out there. We have a lot of great perks, including early access to episodes. We can even read your name live on air as one of our followers. So go check that out. Yeah. And we'll have more on this later. But I just want to say that I'm so blown away and thankful for all of the incredible people who have joined before we even launched our first episode. Y'all are amazing. It's really been incredible. And I just wanted to thank everybody so much from the bottom of my heart. With that, let's get to the show. So for our very first segment, um, we are starting by looking at one of the biggest temper tantrums happening around cancel culture right now. And that is, of course, the right-wing Republicans freaking out in the aftermath of the insurrection and the effort to impeach Donald Trump. And I'm so excited to talk about this because Caitlin has actually been doing a lot of really good reporting on this. And so, Caitlin, I think that one of the biggest players in all of this is Senator Josh Hawley. Can you take us through kind of how he plays into all of this? First of all, I love that our first segment is just like taking down Josh Hawley. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, Josh Hawley is a Republican senator from Missouri. He was one of the chief cheerleaders of the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. In fact, there was a photo that went viral where he was giving the crowd a fist bump like minutes before they stormed the Capitol. And there have been calls for his resignation. He voted against certifying the Electoral College results um, shortly after, you know, the white supremacist mob was cleared out of the Capitol. And there's been a lot of happenings with him since then. Uh, you know, he's starting to face some consequences for his actions. He actually had a book deal with Simon & Schuster canceled, which he has now gone on for weeks positioning himself as a victim in all of this because he lost this book deal. So it's really been kind of funny to watch him sort of slowly melt down, him and his Republican colleagues. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting to watch. I mean, they, it seems like they're acting like children and just like slamming their fists against the table. You know, one of the things that stood out to me as soon as all of this stuff with Holly's book fell through was, you know, he was threatening to sue and calling it censorship. And like, he's part of the government. This isn't an issue of free speech at all. No. And the really ironic part, too, is like a week or two after his contract with Simon & Schuster was canceled, it was actually picked up by a conservative imprint called Regenery, which, by the way, is distributed by Simon & Schuster. So it's 
pretty hilarious that like his quote unquote canceled book deal, which wasn't really canceled and isn't really changing that much, is sort of this big claim to censorship. Um, and since then, he's gone on. He wrote a terrible op-ed in the New York Post where he was just <laughs> moaning about how leftists are trying to shut down conservative thought. And it's like, no, we just want you to accept the consequences of your own actions in inciting an insurrection that left people, including a U.S. Capitol Police officer, dead. It's like, we can't just move on from this and say, oh, you know, our bad, you know, we're back to normal now. No, there has to be consequences, right? And this is like the classic leftist critique of the sort of outcry over cancel culture is, there are so many people who use claims of cancel culture just to try to get out of consequences. Josh Hawley was not canceled. He is not censored. He's in the New York Post. He's on Fox News telling everybody how he's silenced. And it's ridiculous because those places have audiences of millions. Like he could call a press conference anytime he wants on Capitol Hill and get 50 news outlets there. Like this guy is not censored, but you see this all over the right. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that is so ridiculous to me about this claim of being canceled and censored is that if you look at it, Senator Josh Hawley's profile has been raised significantly since all of that, right? He's getting so much more press. His perspective on this is driving a lot of the conversation right now, which is ridiculous because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, my favorite line from this op-ed is, the alliance of leftists and woke capitalists hopes to regulate the innermost thoughts of every American from school age to retirement. And like... <laughs> <laughs> woke capitalists? What are what are woke capitalists? I'm pretty sure that those things, they don't work together. Yeah, and we're talking about a guy, again, who helped incite an insurrection where people died. But you see this, again, throughout the right wing. If you look at Representative Matt Gates from Florida, he tweeted last week that impeaching Trump for his role in inciting the insurrection is, quote, the zenith of cancel culture. And it's like, no, we're just trying to let law and order, which they supposedly are all in favor of, play itself out. And if people who genuinely did wrong happen to catch consequences from it, too bad. You should have thought about that ahead of time. Like, be an adult and accept responsibility for your actions. It's especially frustrating with somebody like Matt Gates, who last week flew to Wyoming to hold a rally against Liz Cheney, who is a fellow representative on the Republican side in the House of Representatives, Cheney actually voted for the articles of the impeachment. So Gates is going around trying to get somebody to primary against her in Wyoming, effectively the political equivalent of canceling somebody. So Gates is out there claiming the whole thing is cancel culture while also trying to cancel a colleague. And he's just such a hypocrite. Like, I want to punch him in the face. Wait. But- <laughs> Wait, so so you're telling me that because one of his colleagues voted for impeachment, he's trying to get someone to run against her? Yes, that's exactly what's happening. Okay. But they're trying to strip her of her leadership position within the House. It's like all of these things that they're complaining about on the left are things that they're doing themselves. That's a really good point because when you look at the right 
there's a lot less ideological diversity than on the left. And mm-hmm. the Republican Party has a history of primarying people who, for instance, acknowledge the existence of climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Republican Party is very committed to maintaining ideological purity and within their ranks in a way that the Democrats tend to not be quite as strong about. Yeah, I would say that's an accurate assessment. I think there's another dynamic here to at play, and that is that conservatives are increasingly finding their cultural views to be in the minority within the United States, right? Um, I actually had an interesting conversation last week with a Harvard professor named Pippa Norris, who has studied cancel culture within political contexts, not just in the United States, but across the world. Mm -hmm. And something she said really stuck out to me, and that is that complaints about cancel culture or the feeling of needing to self-censor your political views is not a left or right dichotomy. I think we look at it that way in the United States because that's the way it's been framed forever, but it's actually a majority-minority issue. And she explained it by saying in liberal countries like the U.S. and Western Europe, it's conservatives who increasingly find themselves with minority social views and then, as a result, feel a need to self-censor. This used to be called political correctness, right? We're all familiar with that because you know you and I grew up with that as a term. But if you look at more conservative countries, especially those that are more religious, it's actually those with liberal social views who feel the need to self-censor. So I think the takeaway from all of this is just to realize that it's conservatives who are actually getting angry that their social views are more in the minority now than they used to be. And when you add it into the fact that they like consider themselves the, quote, real Americans, this sort of white supremacist value system of the white cisgender heterosexual nuclear family living in the suburbs is what America is supposed to be. They're increasingly frustrated that they're not in power, right? Mm-hmm. And this is why you have them going out and, and trying to suppress the vote in all these places so they, they can win elections. You know, they don't actually have policies that appeal to more than 50% of the country. So they have to resort to these like inflammatory rhetoric and, and electoral tricks to try to win office. So would would you say that these very loud, impassioned temper tantrums about cancel culture are perhaps the last primal scream of the mediocre white guy trying to hold on to power? (laughs) I would, but there also are quite a few mediocre white ladies who are trying to cling to power. You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that probably in a future show. Well, with that, in just a moment, we are going to delve into the firing of New York Times editor Lauren Wolf um, after she tweeted about having chills over Biden's inauguration. So stay tuned. So before we get to the rest of our show, there's another podcast that we love that we want to recommend to you. And it's called Gender Reveal. It's a space for trans people of all different backgrounds to share their stories and their work and really explore what gender means to them. It's a show that's hosted by journalist and gender educator Tuck Woodstock. They are also a good friend of the show. 
And they interview just such incredible guests like Diamond Styles, Meredith Toulousen, Thomas Page McBee, and our very own Caitlin was actually on the show not too long ago. I was. I had a wonderful time. We had a great talk about my career as a journalist, sort of how I got started in journalism, and then my experience as the first ever openly trans Capitol Hill reporter. Um, and it was a great time. I recommend it. And one of my favorite things about the show is you have trans people talking to each other about gender and other things. And it's a great resource that gets beyond the like gender trans 101 and really has like deep, thoughtful conversations. I think it's just such a valuable resource and it's an important show and Tuck is amazing and really smart. So you should definitely subscribe to Gender Reveal wherever you're listening right now and tune in every Monday to hopefully get a little bit closer to understanding what the heck gender is. So how about we cancel the New York Times next? Oh, yes, please. We're going to talk a little bit about the firing of editor Lauren Wolf. And Oliver, I know you've been following this a little bit. Do you want to explain what happened? Yeah, yeah, let's break it down. Um, So basically, Lauren got fired after tweeting, Biden landing at Joint Base Andrews now. I have chills. That's it. That was the whole tweet. Yeah, but it's a little weird what the Times did, because their initial statement implied that she had done something wrong in the past. But it was really weird because they said, we don't comment on internal employee matters. But then they like insinuated that this woman was like bad at her job or messed up once before. I thought that was really weird. Yeah, so we don't know what the New York Times isn't telling us, but we do know what Lauren Wolf is saying because she's been talking to the media about it. And basically... She says she was warned about her Twitter activity once before, was told that some of her tweets were borderline. An example that she was given was where she talked about conservative men refusing to wear masks as a part of toxic masculinity. But she was also told other time staffers had done worse. And so it's really unclear why she's getting fired when, you know, other folks have not for very similar things or things that are even worse. So some people are saying that Lauren Wolf has been canceled because of this. What do you make of that? I think that's complete nonsense. I think it's unfair that she lost her job, but what's happening right now isn't a cancel culture thing. I think that this is similar to kind of what we saw with Gamergate, with people taking things out of context, harassing people that they didn't like what they said and going to their employer trying to get them fired. So one of the things that I saw around this is... um, Of course, there was the infamous Harper's letter about free speech a couple of months ago. And you saw some of the signers of that uh, letter saying, oh, we tried to warn you guys about this. Like, this is of your own making. You kind of deserved this for not listening to us. And I was just kind of curious, like, obviously what happened here was a right wing mob got upset over something, you know, an editor that they perceived as not objective. But, like, how is this different from, like, James Bennett being let go, who is a former opinion page editor and admitted to several mistakes in the publication of Senator Tom Cotton's piece a couple months ago calling for the military to put down Black Lives Matters protests? So something that seems really different to me about this is how bad faith all of the conversation criticizing Lauren Wolf for her tweet is, 
it's a pretty innocuous tweet. It doesn't harm anyone. Whereas with uh, Senator Cotton's op-ed, he was calling for state violence against Black Lives Matter protesters, which is wildly irresponsible. And with the op-ed, what we saw was really dangerous because it legitimizes that state violence. It it legitimizes that as an opinion that we should be taking seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in this case, too, like Bennett admitted to not reading the op-ed before it went out, which is like an editor's basic job, especially with something produced by a senator. So there are specific differences in this case. Bennett was not fired for his political opinions, and Lauren Wolf was. Like, I think, to me, that's what it boils down to. So one of Wolf's friends did, like, a Twitter thread about all of this and said that her chills, quote-unquote, was because fascism didn't win. And so to me, that seems like one of the most reasonable responses that's, I think, pretty objective. Like, White supremacy and fascism, I think it's really fair to say, is objectively bad. So are they saying it's not? Like, like if we're talking about a political opinions, like where did the chills come from? Chills came from democracy persevering. Like it's just, it's so innocuous to me. Yeah. I, you know, I agree with that. But I think it's kind of ridiculous that journalists and editors are made to do this dance of like public neutrality. And I think this is partly how we got into the fascism situation in the first place as journalists, you know, became stenographers rather than seekers of truth. And it became more about the show of objectivity rather than actual objectivity. Like in my mind, when I'm writing about things, right, people understand my frame of reference. They understand that I lean to the left, but I'm just as hard on Democrats as I am on Republicans, you can be outwardly partisan as a reporter and still report fairly on what you're reporting on, I think. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I think the other thing you just said is kind of how the media's obsession with objectivity fed into everything that's happening. You know, I think that the media has talked about how, you know, social media and the algorithms and disinformation has led to this, but also haven't really reckoned with their own role in this about how, you know, normalizing and profiling white supremacists and just repeating what Trump said without analysis and thought, you know, we haven't really reckoned as a country and as an industry with how the media played into what's going on. And and I think that, that that's something we need to really look at and think about and hold ourselves accountable for. I mean, just recently, their star COVID reporter, Donald McNeil Jr., who's worked at the paper for 45 years, um, it was reported that he was suspended for using the N-word during a time student trip to Peru, but he was not fired for doing that. You see this over and over again with the Times where like their stars, who are usually men, are allowed to get away with things. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's the whole industry. This isn't a problem exclusive to the New York Times, but I do think that you know, when you're the biggest paper, the paper of record, that means a little extra scrutiny is warranted. Uh, and one reason that I just find Lauren Wolf's sudden dismissal stunning is everything that's going on at The Daily, which I've been following pretty closely. Um, for those who haven't been following along, basically, um, the New York Times had to give 
back their Peabody because the podcast Caliphate was based on lies. Like it was just complete nonsense. And the producer for that series is this guy named Andy Mills who works at The Daily. And the very next week after they had to give back their Peabody, he hosted a segment on that show, which is one of the biggest podcasts in the country. Now, all of this was mid-December and a bunch of people in the podcast world, which I inhabit, started speaking out about alleged bullying and sexual harassment from Andy. And I say allegedly for legal reasons, uh, not because I don't believe those stories. Now, in response to criticism in the podcast world, Mike Barbaro, who hosts The Daily, he's the host of the most popular show in the country, starts blocking a bunch of people on Twitter who are criticizing either The Daily or Andy. And he also privately pressured journalists to dial back their own public criticisms of the Times and Caliphate. Now, about a month later, 20 public radio stations condemned Barbaro's behavior, and some even dropped The Daily from their airways. So the New York Times is losing money because of the way the host of the top podcast in the country behaved, and he's fine. As far as we know, there have been no consequences. Now, it seems that maybe after a month and a half and a PR nightmare for the New York Times because of Andy Mills' alleged behavior and his failure to do good journalism that resulted in having to give back a Peabody, that he might no longer be at The Daily. Reports are conflicting. He says he's still employed there, but he's been taken out of the New York Times Slack and directory. This is pure speculation, but it looks to me like he's being pushed out could be wrong about that. Again, it's speculation, but it looks like maybe, maybe he's facing consequences. But even if he is, it's only because a lot of people put pressure on the New York Times. It's just incredible to me how these institutions really support, you know, these golden children. Sexual harassment and like pressuring colleagues to say silent or to dial back criticism are a far cry from tweeting, I have chills to the end of American fascism, or I have chills that, you know, democracy survived. Like, there's miles between those two things. What are they doing over there? I don't understand it. I love, by the way, that our first podcast beef is with The Daily. We're just going to cancel the biggest podcast in the country. All right, it's done. The cancel daddy has spoken. Am I I the cancel daddy? You want to be the cancel daddy? I'm the cancel daddy. Yes, (laughs) yes. You have given me so much power, Caitlin. (laughs) I'm going to be drunk with this power. You don't even know. You've created a monster. Oh, no. (laughs) On that note, I think that's a good place to wrap for today. What do you think? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Um, So how are you feeling about our first show? You know, um, I think it's a good start. I think we had a good discussion and I'm already excited for our next episode. Yeah, I feel really good about the show. I think it was a very good first episode and I think they're just going to get better. So like we said, at the start of the show, we are looking to make this a weekly podcast and we're raising money on Patreon. Even if it's just the cost of a cup of coffee every month, that will make a big difference. And Patreon contributors can join the cancel community on Discord. And we also have a monthly video chat for some subscribers and lots of other rewards. You can even get a t-shirt, which we're still admittedly developing. Give us a little bit of time, but we'll get there. 
And if you can't support us financially, another way that you can really help out is leaving a nice and short review on Apple Podcasts. That really makes a difference. And also just sharing the show with your friends and on social media. Oliver, you forgot to tell them where they could go for our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash cancel me daddy. Thank you for catching that, Caitlin. (laughs) Regardless, we're really looking forward to hearing from you. And we're so glad you joined us for our first episode. Today's show was made by me, Oliver Ash Klein, and Caitlin Burns. Daniel Peter Schmidt made our theme song, and Eden M.W. designed our graphics. We also use music from Poddington Bear. Our show is made possible by the incredible Cancel Cabal supporting our work. And one last note, we're inducting one member into the great Canceler Hall of Fame today. This honor gives inductees the great power of canceling their enemies, and you can get it yourself with a $100 a month contribution to our Patreon. So, Megan, thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Megan. Happy canceling.